effervescence multiplied by energy with purpose to the 10th power. We're talking about Justin Barnes, vice president with Furniture Land, Ashley Homestar, and Delmar, Delaware. And look, when Charlie Maloof says, you need to meet this guy, you better believe we listen. Welcome to the Dos Marco Show with Mark Kinsley and Mark Quinn, where mattress and furniture leaders gather to grow, get the inside scoop, tell stories, and take tequila shots. Uno, dos, tequila! Welcome aboard. Here's your passport to a planet filled with the mattress industry's brightest minds and biggest ideas. Meet your guides. I'm Mark Kinsley, president and CEO of Englander. And I'm Mark Quinn, co-founder of Spink & Co. and VP of Sherwood Betting. Together, they are Dos Marcos. The galaxy's greatest mattress podcast has liftoff in three, two, one. It is your favorite part, Quinn. Did, did, you, did you let it go? Your favorite part, yeah. That rocket ship just blasting off, going into space, the, like Chris Cassidy heading up to the International Space Station out of Russia. Mm-hmm. Out of Russia. There you go. So how you doing, Kins? I'm good. I'm good. I'm super excited to have Justin Barnes on the show today. When it was weird, like Charlie Maloof says, you've got to meet this guy. He just like plucked him out of thin air. I don't even I know. know how that conversation bubbled up. And we're like, yeah, if Charlie says that needs to happen, it needs to happen. And I am so excited for today because I feel like my formula I came up with was a result of me reading a piece this morning about Einstein and how long Einstein slept. And then that formula, I was like, yes, Justin needs to have his own formula to describe his approach to the world, the energy and the effervescence. And so we're going we're gonna to dig in with Justin and talk about his story and his journey. But first, we got to talk about primetime because nationwide primetime, virtual primetime is coming up really quickly, March 16th through the 18th. It is. And you know what they're doing, Kinsley? They've got like a primetime palooza, which they do every, every year, right? But they said this year they're going to follow it with like this big party and they've got a St. Patty's Day blowout they're going to do. And they said there's a special guest. Did you hear that? They've yeah. got a special guest. Is it you? I'm just curious. Well, it's a surprise celebrity mm. guest. And mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be Mark Quinn or Chuck Norris um, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know. I mean, and it wasn't, but they did mention a pot of gold. So there's a good enough reason for people to go. So, hey, listen, don't miss the event with Primetime because you guys know you go, you attend these things, you always learn something, right? So that's one of the things I really appreciate about Justin Kinsley, and we're going to get into it. But, you know, before we had this call, he's always asking, so what did you learn from that? He just is hungry for knowledge. So I love it. The best place to get it here is going to Nationwide. You can learn from everybody there, learn from your peers. And best of all, have a blast, have a cocktail hour, celebrate St. Patty's Day with everyone and get that pot of gold. So check it out, nationwideprimetime.com, March 16th through the 18th. You got to be there. And speaking of gold, I mean, the gold standard when it comes to tracking customers coming in your store and doing something with them and serving those customers better, the gold standard in technology is door counts 3.0. So door counts 3.0 really is the cure for traffic blindness. And it's a Yeah, 2.0 sucked, didn't it? I liked 2.0. <laughs> I'm kidding. 2.0 was really good for me. And so whenever you put a 3.0 on top of the 2.0, you're talking you're talking rocket ship. Just what you're we You're a whole 1.0 better off. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> No, but it is really cool because they've taken 
data and they help you do something with it. So it's not just the camera that takes a picture of somebody, puts them on an upboard, assigns them to a salesperson and make sure that you're able to nurture that lead, take care of that customer, follow up with them, do all the things you need to do to create those wow moments. But door count 3.0 is helping you do more with your data. And here's the cool thing. Jerry called us up and he said, look, we want to help everybody cure their traffic blindness. So we're doing a 90 day free trial, hundred percent free. So, and at the end of that, if you decide that for some reason door counts isn't for you, you get to keep the camera for free. Jerry's going to open up his wallet. He's going to peel off a Benjamin and a 50 spot, and he's going to give it to you 150 bucks in your pocket just for giving him a try. Check it out at doorcounts.com. Tell them Dos Marcos sent you and do yourself a favor today. And we're going to do you another favor right now by introducing Justin Barnes, Vice President, Furniture Land in Del Mar, Delaware, Ashley Home Store. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful to be able to contribute something. Well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> it does. So let's start with this, Justin. Kinsley mentioned the $100 bell with the Benjamin for $50 and the lead on the board. Who is on the $50 bell? Uh, Franklin. I'm sorry, the, t the time expired. It's, uh, I don't even know if that's true. Is it true? Is it, is it Franklin? Quinn, you should have the answer ahead of time <laughs> if you're going to give answer. trivia. I thought, I thought he would have the answer and he would say it so convincingly that I wouldn't even need to look it up, but maybe it is Franklin. We'll have to 50 look it up. 50 George anyway. Washingtons. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Justin, you're, you're awesome. We're glad that you're here. You know, it was funny that when Charlie recommended you uh, to us and he wanted to connect us, uh, Kinsey is right, man. You, you hear from Charlie and you're like, okay. But when we had a, a call with you the first time, uh, I think Kinsley nailed your introduction. There is so much going on with you and uh, you just shine this massively bright light. So we're really glad to have you here. Well, thank you. It means a lot. It's not just the glare off of my head. Uh, hopefully there's actually some light behind it. Tell us, tell us about your relationship with Charlie Maloof and how you guys get to know each other. Where, what's the story behind that? You know, um, Charlie, I've been fortunate to be able to participate in a couple of his events uh, for Broad River's uh, Purpose Summit. Uh, Purpose 828 is a big deal, and um, our paths seem to kind of cross just in a timely manner where he was able to kind of discern that maybe I had something to contribute, but really I was just eager to go down there and see his operation. And so if, uh, if being able to see his operation meant that uh, I needed to speak or was able to speak. I was game for anything just to get an inside glimpse at what they do because he, uh, he his leadership, um, I consider him probably one of the most esteemed leaders that I like to follow and be um, aware of what he's doing. And the organization itself really just resonates with me personally because they all seem to know who they are. And because they know who they are, they know how to handle different things. They know what they're going to do and the level of alignment uh, the culture, everything is very special. Well, and I know that Charlie talks about his people as memory makers. And I think it's just such a cool way of anchoring yourself in purpose around what we do. Because so often, whenever somebody comes in to buy furniture or mattresses, they're going through some sort of major transition in their lives. And during times of transition, we face a lot of uncertainty. And we're looking for a little handholding, a little empathy. We're looking for an assurance of an outcome. And so if you're going to help people make memories, if you're going to call yourself memory makers, boy, that's a good time to do it. Because in those seams, there's just a lot of, lot of people that are scared. 
True. That's for sure. What a, tell us about your business. Tell us about furniture land. Tell us about Delaware. This is the first time anybody from Delaware has ever been on the show. This is an amazing moment. Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you for letting me represent Delaware. Uh, so we are, um, we have three stores in our portfolio. We have furniture land, which is a multi-line store. Um, that's kind of more traditional in the uh, eyes of multi-line stores, meaning we sell several brands. And then we have a couple of Ashley home stores in our portfolio as well. And uh, because we've always been value obsessed, Ashley was an obvious partner for us because we do still believe that they're kind of the value leader um, in, in the ecosystem of, of home furnishings. And uh, I'm fortunate to have had a front row seat to my family's entrepreneurial endeavors back in 1991 i was 10 years old when they put up a 5,000 square foot pole shed and it was an agriculture building meaning six by six post frame construction that you would build like a poultry house with and uh, there was no heat there was no air conditioning and as a matter of fact if you were to use the porta potty out back and turn on the light after dark you had to be careful because you could see the silhouette of what was happening inside and so very humble beginnings and to have had a front row seat to those beginnings really shaped my understanding of what it meant to be an entrepreneur. Uh, not, not the kind of new uh, way that we look at entrepreneurs with venture capital and things like that, but a true bootstrap experience where somebody puts everything on the line to try to build something. So the level of appreciation, the level of hunger, um, all of those things, the intangibles have just uh, been too numerous to note. You know, that's, you know, the, the, you talk about humility and you talk about the early beginnings. What did that teach you? What did those times teach you when, I mean, a lot of people go into entrepreneurship and they have this, you know, really uh, rose colored view of what that's going to be like, right? You start this company and then fast forward, you're selling it for millions of dollars, right? But you got a front row look at, you know, the, the ugly part of that or the rough part of that. Um, early on. So tell us about that. And, and what did those early days teach you? Yeah, I think um, resiliency is a big, big thing. You know, when you can see a character trait in your parents that you just, you, you want it, you know? So I, I would see my, my, my mom carrying double reclining sofas with my dad where they would sell furniture in the daytime and they would deliver it at night. And it, seeing that level of commitment to the vision, it, it does something to an impressionable mind to really say, this is what it takes. This is the cost of ownership. And uh, I'm really thankful. I don't know how my family did it, but I never felt that uh, my needs took a back seat to the business. But I always understood why we needed to be invested in the business and why it took my family's time and so there was never a, a, a competition between my needs and the business's needs. So uh, kudos to them for really helping to, to manage that at home because I don't know how they did it. They did an incredible job with it. The second thing I would say is the, the way to grow. You know, I remember our first delivery truck or hearing the stories about our first delivery truck. They bought it from a local farmer who stored grain in the back of it. And so when they go, went to go get this truck, they opened up the back to look at it in a ton of rodents mice and rats ran out and it was just gross and the truck would barely run. In fact, in one instance, the clutch failed. And so they had to tie a rope to the clutch. So my dad would drive with this hand, would have a rope on the clutch with this hand and, and Beth, my mom would shift the gears. So he, there, it took all, both of them working as a team driving and who knew that that's a greater metaphor for the way that they would be a team in, in running the business. And uh, it's just, 
to see those things, it, it's a it's a realistic picture. You know, I ran the warehouse for about a decade. And uh, when we finally built a proper warehouse with racking and order pickers and things like that, it used to make us, make my team, we would recondition and wax the forklifts. I mean, our, our forklifts are perfect and pristine. And they would be like, man, that's just incredible. That's, that's weird. You're a little obsessive, Justin. I said, well, what you don't understand is that we used to have uninsulated buildings that were where your finishes that you'd spray on the furniture would freeze in the wintertime. And the rack was 12 feet high and you had to climb up a ladder to get a recliner off a second level, your back was the forklift. Now that we have this equipment, this is our culture. This is how we take care of things because we did not have things. Wow. So <laughs> go go back in time a little bit further though. What led to your parents starting that business? Did they see a need? Did somebody did they have a background in the in the furniture industry in some capacity? Like what what causes them to go on this crazy wild journey where the next thing you know the you know, you got furniture freezing in the top racks. You, you're, you're having to use all hands and all feet just to drive the truck that you bought that rodents are shooting out of the back. Like what, why, why get into this business? What led to that? Yeah, so uh, I really, uh, we're very grateful for my Uncle David. He had a furniture store in Newcastle, Delaware. And my dad worked for my Uncle David for a number of years. And uh, he and my stepmom decided, okay, let's give a year's notice. It's family, you gotta do right by your family give a year's notice to Uncle David and say, we're going to move an hour, two hours south so that we don't disrupt your business, but we want to open our own thing. And uh, their vision, I mean, there was nothing. Where, I, where our store is, where I'm talking to you from now, was nothing but agricultural fields. And the largest population center was a place called Salisbury, which was over the Maryland-Delaware border on the Maryland side. Well, their theory was that people would drive out of Maryland to save Maryland sales tax and buy in a tax-free state. And so we're right on the Maryland-Delaware line was where our first ag building was built. And uh, it, it ended up being a, a smart bet. You know, one of the things that you, you shared with us early on, Justin, was the following statement. And I want you to talk about how you apply this thinking kind of to what you do now, because you have your hands full. You have a lot going on there. And we, we've been talking about your people and had to be good in terms of executing your plans and all of those things. But one statement you made um, as we drill down more into the detail of your business really stood out to me. And it was, I'm an instrument for life change in others. So where did you hear that? Did you pin that yourself? And how are you applying that to everything that you're doing today? Well, it's uh, all roads lead back to Charlie Maloof, right? So I was first invited to speak at the Purpose 828 Summit the first year they had it. And I felt quite unqualified to be a speaker uh, on that marquee of speakers. So I really dove into Purpose and really dove into kind of learning more about their organization. And it occurred to me as I was preparing to go there that, you know, what's my mission? What is the identity informing statement that it determines my direction every day of my life? And so I really spent some time um, thinking on that. And really what I ended up landing on was that I am an instrument for life change in others. And in fact, for the last two years, that's the first uh, affirmation that I write every single day. That's number one on my list of 23 affirmations that I write every single day to inform my thinking that says I am an instrument for life change in others. And what it does is it just, it changes what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for consumption. I'm looking for contribution. And I am not, I am not naturally um, 
only fixated on other people's needs. I had to learn to reinvent my thinking so that others would become the priority that I need them to be, that I want them to be, so that I could be the man that I desire to be. And so that identity-affirming statement of I am an instrument of life change in others really informs how I would approach my day and how I approach my interactions and see myself as a means to an end for the benefit of others. When you just, uh, I'm just digging into some details here. So I have two questions. First is, wouldn't you just remember that after you wrote it so many times? Yeah, well, you do remember it, but what it makes your, uh, it, when I use the term radon, it changes what you see. And you and I both know, um, and many of your listeners are probably achievement minded, they're achievers. And achievers, if they're honest, there's so much going through our brains. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's positive, sometimes we're in a peak state, sometimes we're in a suffering state. And so having that protected time every day to direct your thoughts, you know, it's a lot, thoughts are a lot like money. You either direct your money or your money directs you. You either direct your thoughts or your thoughts direct you. And you can't control your thinking. Anybody that tells themselves, stop being so stressed, they know that's, you're just nuts if you think that's going to work. But what you can do over time is you can recondition yourself. You can create new neuropathways. You can do neuroplasticity. I won't get too far into science there. You can create new game trails in your brain that allow new thoughts to flow subconsciously that change the way you think and act. And thought is the lead measure to behavior. You can't change a single behavior until you first change the way we think. And I think more leaders would do well to remember training that way. We can't get our teams to behave the way we want because we haven't gotten them to think in a liberating way. And so you're spending a certain amount of time every morning jotting down the same 23 things each morning. It seems like a lot to tackle or a lot to put into your mind each and every day. Is that a process where you're trying to figure out, okay, these are the 23 things that I'm trying to you know, codify or crystallize in my mind, and I know it's going to take time for those new game trails to be carved out. Is that what your approach is or describe that? So I give myself permission to change out affirmations as I sense the need to do so in my life. Uh, approximately 18 of them are static and don't change, but the remaining five sometimes can change. You know, recently I added one that I am powerful. And what I'm referring to there is the, the power of choice that we have. When we choose wisely, we choose power because the power of choice can either advance us closer to what we desire or can totally sabotage the whole things. And so uh, I give myself permission to kind of change that. But as far as the entire process, that's actually only one portion of my morning process. Um, I invest a, a considerable amount of time in that. And uh, I would say that for your achievement minded leaders who are listening to your podcast, that uh, it is an invaluable step. You know, I, I find that men in particular tend to resist journaling. And I would just tell you that if you're going to take hold of your power, you're going to take hold of your impact, you're going to set the tone for your day. You're going to have to find a system that works for you. For me, that system involves five gratitudes where I actually re-experience five moments from the previous 24 hours. And when I say re-experience them, I mean, I want to find the emotion. If it was tucking my daughter in, if that was one of the things, I want to see her eyes. I want to I want to hear her say goodnight, daddy. I want to re-experience that moment because that kind of prepares my heart then for the 23 affirmations that are, it's like my heart and my mind can kind of receive it. And I don't have any special psychological training or anything like that. What I'm telling you is the system that's worked for me. And I'm just a country guy from the, the Eastern shore of Maryland. So 
uh, this is what I found that optimizes my mindset so that I can step on the scene like a gladiator every day, ready to handle my business. You know what I love about what he's saying, Kinsley, is, you know, like I wake up every day also, Justin, and I, you know, the LLC, it's the attitude of gratitude, right? So I'm grateful and, and I go through that and I think about that and, um, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm intentional about that. But what I like about what you said is you look back at specific moments in the last 24 hours. Did you ever do it the way I was doing? Like, what does that mean to you? Like, what is the impact? And, and if you forget to do that, right? Like, what is the impact of you forgetting to do that? Like, what, what does that do for you? Yeah. Um, so I'll start with uh, the importance of it for me. I have tried it where I just list things I'm grateful, but what you find, what I found is that I would go through the motions because you're like, well, I'm thankful for so much. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. And it's, it's so infinite, but because it's so common, it means nothing. But when you go to a moment, something transformative happens. You all of a sudden become so aware to what's happening around you. You become so present not present because I'm writing gratitude about what happened yesterday. I'm present today because my brain is looking for things for which I'm grateful today. And so I'm all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm wide eyed and I'm like, oh, that's something that I celebrate. I, it changes your whole perspective and it becomes almost impossible to just write five. And then the second benefit, and I think, you know, uh, call me what you want to, if I lose my street cred with some of you hardcore soldiers out here, um, you know, it helps me to really find my emotion. You know, I, I, I crave a, a gratitude experience of going back and re-experiencing that moment in my mind at such a degree where I might even find my tears. And I'm cool with that. Like, I am perfectly cool with that because there's power in being able to do that and what it does to you psychologically. Yeah, and our emotions are what make us human. If you stop feeling those, you stop feeling like a human being. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, you know, happiness can only be found in the moment. And there's a lot of deep dive philosophical debating we could do about that. But I believe it um, because the past is, is the past. It's already happened. The future hasn't happened yet. The happiness can only be found in the moments. And so the more present that we can be to them and whatever you can do to train yourself to be here right now, right in front of you, that is an amazing thing that your mind has the ability to do and it has the ability to sabotage you too. I mean, it's the whole philosophical underpinning of everything Phil Jackson did with all of his basketball teams. And if you've read 11 rings, um, which I, I love that book, um, it gets into the team literally breathing the same breath, you know, hearts beating at the same time as the goal. And, um, clearly the outcomes speak for themselves. Um, I just love that you, you kind of took the reins on something, Justin, and you said, this is maybe something that I struggle with because I know this is my experience too. Here's what I'm going to do about it. And here are the small steps I'm going to take every day to create the me that I want to be because this is our one chance. And I know that when, when leaders like you get that right, that cascades out to the rest of the organization. Talk, talk about that piece of the puzzle. Whenever you started making some of these changes, what did you see happening with your people and with your teams and with those around you? Well, I think the, the first thing that happens is a mindset shift where you become or I became obsessed with having my teammates be able to experience the same liberating power that I was able to find in those habits. And uh, I think that just changed that really reshaped the purpose of our organization. 
uh, one of our one of our core beliefs is that AX plus GX equals success. Associate experience plus guest experience equals success. If you were to survey many of your listeners and they hadn't heard me say that, most of them would probably say that their most valuable resource was their customer. And I believe we have to change that and we have to kind of turn that equation around. We believe that the most valuable resource we have is the associate. And if we take care of the associate, they'll take care of the guest and the guest will take care of your profits. And so I have a very, very deep seated belief having been through this transformative experience myself, that we have a responsibility as a leader and leadership is a privilege. And I have a responsibility as an instrument for life changing others to make sure that we're taking those who have chosen to partner with us as stakeholders in our organization that we're taking them along for the ride, that we're helping them achieve what is sacred to them, and that we're helping to, um, to kind of release them from the jailing patterns of thought and habit that have limited their potential for years. Wow. So Justin, that, the, the leadership piece of who you are is clearly like something that's important to you, and you spend a lot of time on it. You do a lot of reading about it. Um, talk about like how you're doing, like, you know, what you're doing internally to actually develop people under kind of your, your same mentality. Like, what does that look like for you? Are you in meetings every week? Do you put them through a course? Um, I mean, obviously you're doing, you know, the typical review for employment and, and that kind of stuff, but how are you, um, how are you, um, really modeling that for your people? Thank you for asking that. So we have, um, I'll use our sales process as kind of a great way to describe one of the ways that we've rolled this out internally. So when you're onboarded into our sales team, and uh, we'll get to this, I'm sure at some point, but we don't call our people salespeople, we call them business owners. We want to reshape the mindset that you can run as much revenue through your business as you would want to. And we hope to partner with you to help you achieve all that is sacred. You know, people have a reason why they come to work every day that supersedes a paycheck. And uh, while there's been a lot of people that have written about this, I'm certainly not the, the pioneer uh, that came up with this initially, but we do have everyone who's hired uh, instantly their first two weeks, they build their Y board. And that Y board is not only a part of their office experience, but that's also in our sales manager's coaching binder. And so we engage in a weekly and mo monthly coaching with every sales associate business owner and those coaching experiences or interactions, they're not just tactical. If I only have sales managers that are talking to you about how to get your close ratio up and how to get your mattress to 22% balance of sales, if that's all that we're talking about, then I have the wrong leaders. That's a self-centered leader that just wants to use people as a means to an end. Whereas you recall, what I want is leaders who see themselves as an instrument for life change in others. They need to become a means to an end. Well, that requires us to get beyond the superficial. They need to know why you're getting up, what moves you, what's going on in your life. There has to be a real sincere connection beneath, beyond the, uh, the superficial. And often I think a lot of organizations stop short there. And so I'll tell you that one of the great success stories that has come out of this, we had a young lady who showed up with her Y board and her Y board was nothing more than a placemat from a restaurant where her uh, son had drawn a picture of a house with a crayon, a dog, and stick figures that were him and his mommy. She stood up and she, I'll never forget this, one of the most moving moments of my managerial life. She stood up to present her why board and she said, this is my why, as her voice quivered. 
My son wants nothing more than our own house because they were currently living with her parents. And do you know that a couple of years later, most recently actually, that she's gotten her credit to a place where she's now able to get approved for a mortgage and buy her house. And her manager partnered with her to help her on her journey to get her financial house in order so that she could have what her why dictates. That means you're qualified to lead from me when you care beyond the superficial and you will partner with your people. It just so happens that person's also a million dollar writer and was not prior to this level of mentoring. That was not the, that was the benefit, that was one benefit, but that was not the motivation. Hey, will you do us a favor? And when that moment happens, if she's okay with it, would you send us a picture of that? Standing, yeah. Her standing in front of that house? Absolutely. That would be really cool to have. But I mean, when you really think about it, is there any more gratifying way to be a leader? That is, that is, that there's nothing that would get me out of bed about just managing the numbers. But when you can lead people and help them to transform their lives, that gets me up in the morning. You can have the numbers. The numbers will take care of themselves if the people are first. Justin, have you had anybody that came into that into the fold and they, they didn't have a, a real strong why? And maybe somebody that came along and developed a why later on, maybe some, someone who had never been challenged with that line of thinking, but, but the team rallied around someone and got them there. Or do you, do you have any examples like that of people that come in a little bit blind to what's happening, but are able to have others around them that have created a culture that gets them to a place where they feel like they're moving and, and making progress? Yeah, I would say that most people that have not been exposed to that, and we live in an area where you don't have a lot of people that listen to podcasts and you don't have a lot of people that are into self-development. We're, we're kind of a, a very rural, um, low-income area. And for whatever reason, people are, they don't have high expectations for themselves. And so it's very, when they come in and they're like, a why board, what is that? Even? They don't even know what that is. And so sometimes they go through the motions because they don't understand what we're really trying to do where it feels very uncomfortable. It feels selfish to some people. It feels uncomfortable. And, and so I'd say the first step in that process is to give people permission for some people. It might be a Mercedes Benz G wagon and that's okay for somebody else. It might be that they want to send their spouse to college. That's okay. We're not here to judge your why we want to give you permission to go get what you want. And then I expect to have leaders that will relentlessly partner with you and fight scrape, do whatever they got to do to help you achieve what's sacred to you. I don't care if it's a G-Wagon. I don't care if it's your wife's college tuition. I don't care. But I better have leaders that will fight and will leave no stone unturned in helping to advance your cause. I just, I could just imagine this manager, this leader under Justin Barnes, who's like, I'm fighting every day to get Sarah that G-Wagon. I'm going to get her that G-Wagon. If it's the last thing I do, get out of my way. I'm throwing elbows. And they're sharp. But yeah, I would say I would say that's the first step is really just giving people permission to lean into their authenticity, to find out what they really want. And that really stems from, you know, kind of learning who you really are. And so there's a lot of layers to pull back here. We confront a lot of limiting beliefs. We have um, we have a lot of required reading when you join our team that helps to indoctrinate you and helps to inform your thinking. And uh, so there's there's a process that helps to really give the why impact. And I would say, you know, it, it's kind of a slow onset. Justin, so, okay, Justin. real quickly, hold on. We got to pump the brakes for a second. I want you to speak to 
the, the emerging leaders out there, the store owners, the retail managers, people in these leadership positions. And, but I, I want you to do that in a moment. Okay. So I want you to speak to them and say, we don't have a process. We have what we see is not good employees. We have a toxic culture. We're trying to fix all this. So let's speak to them in a moment, but first I want to drive some foot traffic. Okay. Yeah, sure. Are you ready to drive more foot traffic? Who isn't? All right, so we've got a very unique foot traffic driving idea for you today, because if you're in the furniture business, like Justin Barnes and his team of business owners, uh, a lot of times driving foot traffic is driving that foot traffic from the furniture side back to the mattress side. Justin, how do you do it? Well, I appreciate you asking. Uh, I would just tell you uh, three quick tips. Uh, number one, from a marketing perspective, uh, I always advise that furniture stores over advertise bedding. For example, one of my stores is named Furniture Land. Of course, Furniture Land sells furniture. So if Furniture Land is having a President's Day mattress sale, it stands the reason that you're having a furniture sale. So often for tent pole events, we will over advertise mattresses, even to the point when we do a holdover, let's say we're running 15 second units on TV, we'll run double mattress spots as opposed to bookending it with a furniture spot and a mattress spot. We'll go double on the frequency of bedding because the tent pole events over just hammer bedding, hammer bedding. So that's a practical tactic that works well for us. And then uh, number two and three are really about in-store execution. And I would say there's two pieces of advice I have for turning that non-mattress customer into a mattress customer. And I know there's a lot of people with thoughts on this, but mine are very fundamental. Number one is you need to make the mattress gallery, make it your office. For those uh, business owner sales associates who are less skilled at, at convincing someone that they need to try out a mattress, and many people are when they're novices in the industry, the mattress gallery should become the office in which every financing app is filled out while the customer's in zero gravity. And we use eye orders, meaning we enter the sale on an eye order, but all of the eye orders should be written while that customer is in zero gravity. If you think about an average associate, let's say they only see 100 ups per month and they close at a 30% close ratio. So we just use 30 for an easy number. If you have all 30 of those people being checked out in zero gravity, do you think you're gonna sell more betting? If you're a store manager and your betting numbers are not hitting it, and I see that your team does not adhere to that system, do you really wanna drive your betting sales or do you believe that you are the best person to solve their sleep problems? Clearly, the behavior suggests that you do not. And so that's the fundamental thing that you have to do, make the mattress gallery your office. And then number three, one of my favorite things to do is to uh, make my customer an advisor, make my non-mattress customer an advisor. I can't tell you how many mattress sales I get when I'm running around the showroom floor, kind of as a merchandising mind, where I'll just grab a customer that's in the dining section or anywhere. I'll say, you're, you're just so fun to talk to. Can I get your opinion on something? Follow me. And I take them to the mattress gallery and show them some new find. Uh, you know, I love I love merchandising like from a treasure hunt perspective. And you find that mattress that feels really good, but it's at a sharp price point. I throw that customer in zero G and I'm like, hey, what if I told you I could have this delivered today? I'm making a trial close and you'd be amazed at how many people are like, uh, yes, no problem. So just to summarize, over-advertised betting. Number two, make the mattress gallery your office. All financing apps and all eye orders should be completed while your customer's in zero gravity. And number three, make your customer an advisor. If you're excited about what you sell, get their opinion on it. An opinion is less alarming to a customer and they'll try out your product and they'll probably love it. Brought to you by DoorCounts, 
the only known treatment for traffic blindness. Nope, the UPS guy didn't come into your store five times today. Those were customers, and you have no idea what happened to them. Door Counts is the cure for traffic blindness. Increase conversions, boost sales, and make customers happy. Visit doorcounts.com today. And there you go. Um, I had not heard that about making the bedding department your office. I love that, Justin. I think that's very cool. And since you took us into the bedding department, let's not leave there. So talk to us about your mattress business. And you talked about your Y board earlier. And so try to crash those two things together. So when you guys are selling mattresses, what's the purpose in that for your team? And, and real quickly, we're not going to forget to go back to the advice you're going to give these other business owners. Let's stay with Quinn's line of thinking here. But, but I want our audience to know we're going to circle back to that. If you've got that toxic culture, if you have that thing that's limping along internally, but let's stay with betting. Let's keep going that route. I just wanted people to know that. Yeah. So I think uh, linking the why back to really is understanding the health implications of sleep, number one. And number two, though, and, and probably most uh, most important to me is that uh, how strong is our belief muscle? Let me talk about that for a minute. When I speak to my sales teams, they probably initially think I'm crazy and I'm completely unreasonable. And here's why. When I look at the level of care that my customer service team takes in taking care of my customers, I refuse to allow a customer to solve their sleep problem with anybody else but when I look at the care and concern my drivers have, we put up door jam protectors, we roll out red carpet, we wear booties, we survey our customers after every single stop. We go to great lengths to measure customer experience. When I look at those things, when I look at our level of integrity, when I look at our, uh, our refusal to not call customers back, we call them back. When I look at the way we will treat customers like family, it is absolutely wrong for me to allow them to buy with anybody but me. Now, you guys know that customers hate shopping for mattresses. It's almost like shopping for tires for whatever reason in their psychology. They don't enjoy shopping for mattresses. Research tells us that. That's why you see so many of these chain stores on every single corner because finally somebody's just miserable and they're like, I'm going to go get a mattress right now at 930 at night. That means that of the hundreds of customers that I'm fortunate enough to have because I'm a furniture store who happens to sell mattresses, there's a high probability that most of those people hate the way they're sleeping, but they haven't gotten to the point where they just have to change it yet. And so by me being unreasonable, knowing that I have a responsibility to solve all their furnishing needs, all of their sleep needs, any need I can solve, I'm the right guy to solve. And so I think a lot of organizations don't do a good job of, of building their team's belief muscle and making them unreasonable, straight up ravenous about how they're going to solve every need that that guest has. And so I think that that's a, a big uh, mindset shift that we have uh, that would serve a lot of other people well. And then secondly is obviously the health component to understand that when you start really diving in to weight gain and you start diving into diabetes and you start diving into dementia and you start diving into joy and, and depression and all of these things, when you start really doing looking at it, sleep is the cornerstone of wellness. And, and I refuse to allow someone to end up with a pawn shop mattress or some crazy mattress that's not going to meet their needs. We have a responsibility to help them 
craft a sleep solution that's going to allow them to optimize their lives and live with great joy and health and prosperity. So Justin, let's keep going with that just for a second. And then let's get back to the, the comment Kensley is making, because we definitely want to give you a chance to talk about some of those things for the other leaders that they're listening to this. But just to, to cap this discussion in the, in the sleep space, when you're talking about those things, tell me what is the, like, how, how are you executing the purpose in the mattress department in just give us, if you can, like a couple of brief examples, like this is what that looks like in social media. This is what that looks like in our, in our advertising. This is what emotion in the, in the sleep category looks like on the walls in our department. This is what it looks like in our sales process. What is the execution of that idea, if you don't mind? Because I think a lot of people intuitively know, yes, we should probably talk about the emotion around the mattress category, but they, they lack the ability or they lack the um, creativity to actually push it into their business. So what have you guys done there? Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm going to talk about the marketing piece first so that I can confess to you that I would give myself a D minus in that category. Um, and I would say that because the mattress industry as a whole seems to just allow the commoditization of bedding to just continue. We've been talking for years that on the marketing side, we need to tell a compelling story that connects emotion to the mattress, but we keep going further and further down the road of commoditization and it's going to be to our own demise. So we need to turn that into a have to, not a, not a should do. And uh, so my commitment to you is I'm going to lean in on that and I'm going to have something to contribute to you at a later date. So that's number one commitment. Number two, as far as my in-store sales process, I think we do a good job of connecting the emotion to it. But relationship, relationship, life on life relationships are at the center of having that emotional connection. And we like to say that uh, in, in, in our, our group, we call ourselves the transformative retail group, that we furnish connection. We like to say connected people connect people. Our team of, of associates, business owners, we're very connected with one another. We're very connected to purpose, but we're very, as a result, we're very connected to our guests. And that allows us to really listen, listen, listen. Don't talk so much. Don't be the peacock salesperson that has to show all their feathers. Look at how smart I am. Look how much I know. No, listen, ask great questions and connect. Find out what matters to your guests. Obsess over that. And then by doing that, you can, you can plug in a sleep solution that will really work for your guests. But it starts with a relationship that grows with, with trust through asking great questions. That's where it's at. We always talk about sleep, or sorry, about questions, about sleep, and about people's mattresses being your secret superpower. Good, open-ended okay. questions. Mm-hmm. And man, that's a, it's such a tendency, I think, too, for people to be sitting there maybe all day and somebody finally comes in and like you said, the peacock feathers go up, look at how smart I am. Maybe there's a little desperation and they start mouth vomiting instead of asking good questions, taking a little time and really trying to figure out, you know, where that person's coming from. And, and look, it's a, it's, it's your one chance every maybe decade to help people get on a path to better sleep. So we got to do our sleep tips. All right, you guys ready? It's time to become a sleep superhero. So we got to bring Justin back in. I mean, he's just like knocking out of the party. He's back in a, batting a thousand. So for today's sleep tip, okay, it's these sleep tips are not about like, oh, I want to learn a little factoid. 
These are about educating salespeople and business owners about how to educate the consumer to get better sleep so that when they walk away from your store, they're on a transformative path. So Justin, take us into sleep environment. This is something you love to talk about whenever, whenever it comes to the mattress sales. Yeah, I think that a lot of um, sales associates, now remember we call our team business owners. We believe though a lot of RSAs will often settle for selling a white rectangle as opposed to creating a sleep system and, a, and creating even bigger than that is a sleep environment. And one of the things we talk about, we're old school shepherd management. I don't know if any of you or your listeners uh, remember shepherd management, but we're big fans of what's called the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift takes you from item to infinite opportunity. And so the paradigm shift in furniture, the guest comes in and says she's here for a sofa. Well, we instantly say, well, tell me about your room. A room is infinite. A home is infinite. There's more solutions to a home than there is to a sofa. Plus, she's not here just for a sofa. That same wisdom prevails in the mattress category. She's not here for a white rectangle. She's not here for your 288 piece on your direct mail. She's here for a sleep environment. And so as soon as you can expand it from item to environment, the opportunity is infinite. Now, that sounds self-serving, like all I want to do is get a large ticket. The large ticket is going to be a byproduct of the fact that I am willing to meet all of her needs. I'm unreasonable that I would allow her to go buy some department store faded glory sheets that two weeks after she has them, she's going to feel pilling down on her, her feet when she puts them in her covers. I'm unreasonable that I'm not going to allow her to get some sort of cheap Walmart um, uh, be bed protector that's not designed to work in symphony with the elaborate foams that are in her mattress that are designed to keep her cool. She's going to choke all that out with some cheap junk. It's about a sleep environment. And so we really have to kind of zoom out to infinite opportunity to solve all of her problems. But more than that, you're going to give her a sleep environment where she pulls back that heavy luxe comforter every night in those slick, cool sheets and slides her feet in there, lifts her head up, lifts her feet up, and is going to have a sleep experience unlike anything she ever imagined was possible. And the energy that that's going to give them to be better parents, give them to be better employees, better executives, it's, it's just unparalleled. And so it's about sleep environment. Take us one step deeper. Give us something real tactical. It was a great question. Tell us about your room. What, what is that line of questioning that you typically take people through that's beyond tell me about your room that gets you to that environment conversation? Yeah, yeah. I can probably do this for furniture and bedding for you. So as it pertains to uh, furniture, instantly when you say, tell me about your room, you'll often see customers instantly start talking with their hands. As soon as they start talking with their hands about the windows here, boom, you get your bamboo paper app out on your iPad and you start sketching the room instantly. They'll take the iPad right from you and start drawing their room for you. It's amazing to watch it occur if you have the courage to kind of stand in there and do that. And then I like to continue to ask questions. What research have you done in preparation for your visit? Because we know that statistically speaking, they've done a ton of research. I mean, I believe that she's only visiting like 1.8 stores now. So the fact that she chose your store means that she thinks that there's something there. Forgive me for saying she, it's kind of an old school habit of mine, that there's something in your store that, uh, that that's going to meet her needs. So tell me what research you've done. Tell me about the floor covering. Tell me about the window placement. You, you just want to do what I call all of the tell me abouts. 
And the more you get the individual talking, the, the prospect talking, trust is established because you have shown her that she's the most important person in the world. We talked about that peacock salesperson that loves behind, hide behind their feathers. What that person is doing is telling them that they know more than them and you're substantiating that customer's fear that they don't know enough to make a decision. The peacock salespeople make the, un, the, the, the unconfident customer, they destroy confidence even further because they themselves are insecure and need to hide behind this illusion that they know so much. Get your customer to talk. And so in the mattress category, the first thing that we have to ask, and I always say, you don't lay them on a single mattress. You don't show them what's on sale. You don't show them what you like until you've asked them a bunch of questions. The first of which is tell me about your current sleep situation. So tell me about your room 2.0. We just do that in this mattress gallery. Tell me about your current sleep situation. They'll go on and on and they'll talk with their hands. And I feel like I'm getting out of a dip every morning and my husband snores. They'll give you so much with just a tell me about. What research have you done in preparation for your mattress shopping? When your current mattress was new, did you love it? How would you describe the support level of that mattress? What's the one thing that you hope to avoid when you buy your new mattress? What are you most excited about? If your team can't go on and on and give you like 12 of these open-ended needs analysis questions before they even show a single mattress, they're not prepared to win. Justin, can you do us a favor and just so the rest of this show goes well and dial up the passion just a little bit because <laughs> it's it's really not coming through i don't think do you kinsley well the formula that we talked about at the very beginning of the show i think you're starting to see a little bit of that effervescence okay. time times energy with purpose to okay. the 10th power justin barnes but you know the formula just has to bubble up on its own but i think we're getting there i think we're getting there I, he's lifting me out of my chair i love listening to you justin so so go go back to that like you know when so the sleep category when people bring them into the apartment Something that Kinsley and I say often is um, when it goes wrong, and we're actually talked about it yesterday, we're going to write an article about it, it usually goes wrong from the beginning, right? And so what do you think the, the critical piece is for your team when it comes to the mattress category and sleep as a solution? What do you think has to exist? Like, what do you think really, what is the one thing, if there is such a thing, what is the one thing that really needs to be present in order for you to feel good about that up? Right. So when they leave your department, if we do this and knowing you like I do, not all that great yet, but it's probably not even the sale. What is it that you really want to accomplish with that customer? Uh, so two things, uh, as far as what's necessary to have a team that can that can uh, execute that. Number one is confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've observed of most organizations is often there's no training at all. And if there is training, it's, uh, hey, go shadow this other sales associate. They know how to sell. And usually they don't know how to sell. So my our approach to training is very robust. And I have a big belief about training that you do not train until somebody gets it right. You train until they can't get it wrong. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And what you will create in that business owner, i.e. sales associate, is a level of confidence where it becomes subconscious. It just happens, it happens, it happens. But it does not happen sitting across from somebody in a training environment where you tell them one time what their needs analysis questions are and you say, okay, great, I sign off that they've been trained on their bedding. It needs to be role play heavy, scrimmage heavy, do it again, do it again, do it again. And you need to be able to test out of 
that category, meaning test into the ability to sell that category. So confidence is number one for me. And I believe the only way that you achieve that is through uh, training until you can't get it wrong. Secondly, uh, we love to quote, I believe it's Dale Carnegie, that, uh, that the person who dominates the conversation, uh, the person who, uh, who asks the questions dominates the conversation or something of that nature, leads the conversation, doesn't dominate the conversation. But ultimately, questions are your key there to helping to take control of the, the moment and not just allow it to get wishy-washy. And so you ask great questions, as we've already kind of went through. And uh, you have to be kind of assertive about that. You know, people, when you already put them in zero gravity, they instantly want to hop up. You have to tell them, hey, stay there. I'm going to lift your feet, followed by your head. Stay there until I tell you to get up. You'd be amazed at how many uh, sales associates are just uncomfortable telling their customer to stay there. Customers aren't offended by that. People want so badly to be told what to do. Sometimes they'll listen to anyone. And you have the luxury of them coming into your store because clearly they couldn't do it on their own. Right. They wanted somebody to help them, but you're right. I think people, our natural instincts take over as customers and we want to hop up and we want to move on and we want to get on with it or whatever the case might be. But you're saying, hold on, just relax for a minute. Stay put. We're going to, we're going to have you walk away with something that's meaningful here. At least you had ex exposure to something that was full of smoke and mirrors and clouds and dust online. You're here now. Let's, let's do this. Okay. Justin, um, let's circle back real quick. Cause all of these things are going to dovetail really nicely, I think, but talk to that business owner that is struggling with culture is struggling with training. People is struggling with getting out of the gates and making an, an environment that's meaningful because clearly you have pretty well-developed opinions and systems and ideas on how to create a culture, how to create business owners, how to give people purpose and identity. Um, but what about somebody that's just getting started? Can you take yourself back and remember uh, life before this and get rid of the curse of knowledge? Yeah, I think number one, it starts with taking personal responsibility. John Maxwell says that the sun rises and sets on leadership. And I think if you really are to survey any organization, you can get a good idea as to whether or not the leader is effective or not. Now, for some of your listeners, I realize that that may have been a jarring blow, but you needed to hear it because there have been times uh, that have been cultural low points for my organization. And the easy thing for me to do is to blame the economy. The easy thing for me to do is to blame the shortage of workers. The easy thing to do is to blame other leaders within the organization. But as the leader of the organization, I am responsible. The sun rises and sets on leadership. And if there's a problem, I'm the one responsible to change it. If my organization does not reflect the culture and the heart and the care that I expect it to uh, possess, then that's on me. Doesn't mean that every day is going to be perfect, uh, but it does mean that I'm unwilling to shirk my responsibility. So personal responsibility is the number one thing that I would recommend. And then uh, secondly, I would say uh, to quote a guy by the name of Craig Rochelle, he says, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Often a business leader is a visionary and visionaries are so necessary. However, a visionary without an integrator, someone that can systematize and make things highly repeatable and guarantee outcomes 
can sometimes be a mess. It can kind of look like a sloppy teenager's room. And, and that's what I think you see occur often is there is a great visionary in the driver's seat, but they failed to give themselves an integrator that will take and build systems out to guarantee consistency across every campus and across every business unit to make sure that they are living true to their values, that they're offering a consistent workplace experience and a, a consistent guest experience and deploying in the case of sales, a consistent sales system. So many business owners treat sales as if it's a game of luck or happenstance. And I'm here to tell you that when there's inconsistent inputs, there's varying levels of output. When you see stores that are $600 sales per guest one month and $300 sales per guest the next month, that's a reflection of inconsistent inputs. If you can build a system that will control the inputs, the outputs become predictable. There's a lot there. Um, so the accountability part of that is that something that's difficult for you to instill in others? You know, it's easy to want to blame someone for something that doesn't go wrong. And I think a lot of people, <clears throat> you know, they like to hide behind the rocks and ultimate accountability is not easy. That's very difficult. So how do you coach people on that? Well, one of our required readings before joining our team is the book QBQ, the question behind the question. We require that you not only do the book, but also the workbook in a discussion format, because we want you to know from the very beginning that we are not an excuse-making culture. And so before there was extreme ownership by Jocko, there was the QBQ, which is kind of that same, same idea. So we really try to begin indoctrinating people on this idea of radical responsibility from the very beginning, that you're, you're, you're the captain of this thing. You need to take it serious. Um, what I will say, though, and what I'm observing in my own organization and the organization of others is that unlike any other time before in history, I do see a culture that avoids conflict. And so very often I'm seeing uh, we're having to spend a great deal of time mentoring young leaders in particular to teach them the value of the courage to be clear of how to, how, how to disagree agreeably, I believe Carnegie says. And uh, I believe I was even talking to Kinsley about it before um, jumping on this uh, podcast today was even having meeting environments where there's such a high level of trust established where we, we want to disagree. You know, if you have meetings where nobody disagrees, it's because you have an organization with no trust. Creative abrasion and disagreement starts with trust. And so I know there's a lot there um, that I just gave you, but hopefully those three, three bullet points will help uh, some of your leaders. All right. Easy, low barrier to entry ways to think about growing and establishing trust among a team? Well, I think number one, it starts with vulnerability from the leader, meaning I'm not afraid to tell people about times when I've fallen on my face personally and professionally. Uh, matter of fact, that's probably one of my favorite things to do with somebody who's just blown it is to kind of share with them how I've blown it. And to make sure that people understand that the results of your past do not label you or limit your future. As a matter of fact, the results of your past can become a launching pad for purpose as opposed to a lid on your potential. And so uh, I think vulnerability would be your first soundbite because uh, again, I hate to be cliche here and quote Craig O'Shell, but he has a statement that just resonates with me that uh, people would rather follow a leader who's always real than who's always right. And uh, so I think that, I think the workforce today craves an authentic leader 
And authentic doesn't mean that you're always positive. Authentic just means you're consistent. They can see you coming. They know who you are and you're going to act in accordance with your values. So many people today will, will trade their values for what is professionally expedient. They'll trade their values for what they think they think they should do. And people want to follow. They crave more than ever in this generation. They crave an authentic leader who leads from a place of knowing who they are, knowing who their values are, and a place of consistency. And so that builds trust. Vulnerability and authenticity uh, are both ultimate keys to building trust. Good friend of ours, been on the show, author Doug Stewart. He's really high up in the Dale Carnegie network. Um, told me one time, he said, Kinsley, people connect with your vulnerabilities, not your victories. And it's so true. And I think about, I think about vulnerability being one piece of that puzzle, but you, you really tied into another one, which is that consistency. And I remember my dad saying one time that my grandfather, his, his dad, grandpa Ray, was the same person every day. And as a kid, I remember thinking that sounds really boring <laughs> if you're doing the same thing every day or you're being the same person every day. But of course he meant he could see him coming. He knew his heart, he knew his values. The one piece I think that my grandpa Ray was missing, of course he was quite a bit older. My dad didn't have me until he was 40. So a lot of times, even growing up, people thought my dad was my grandfather um, because he was the same age as some of my friend's grandfathers. But I never saw my grandpa be vulnerable, but you always knew he was consistent. So I think those are two really great pause points to say, am I being vulnerable enough? And I, I even think back, I read this as we were researching our book, um, what leads to a great brainstorm? And of course, we have our hatch method. But I read this piece that said, if you go around the room and you, so you have a good team that's there and you say, hey, here, here are the roles and everybody's gonna build, yeah, do the yes and method. We're not gonna shut down ideas. We're going for volume of ideas. We're gonna have ourselves a good, a big, hairy brainstorm. But at the beginning, if everybody told a story where they screwed up, the ideas exponentially um, outpaced the groups that did not share something vulnerable where they screwed up. So I love those two, those two points, be vulnerable and also be consistent, you know, and good stuff, Justin, good stuff, good, good starting points for any leader. And if you don't know how to be vulnerable and you're not consistent, there you go. Those are a couple of things to work on. Um, you know, taking that practice and taking that time to say, I'm going to share something that's very uncomfortable for me to share, but I know that's going to help people connect with me. You know, I, I like what you guys are saying too about authenticity, right? Because it's not just authenticity with each other. You know, there's a, a certain authenticity that needs to happen uh, and, and a consistent authenticity with a customer. I mean, there's so many things that we do as businesses today that that disconnect with that, right? And so it's being it, being authentic, being genuine about who you are with each other is certainly the leadership. And when they see that, then it gives them the path to walk. But even with the customer, <clears throat> so inconsistency in terms of promotions or, um, you know, uh, offers that you're making them that are too good to be true or, you know, the the stupid stuff businesses do in, in terms of lost leaders. And, you know, that that's like, 
you know, it, th th that's just such a disconnect with consumers today. And what they want more than ever, what I keep reading about is they just want a business to be real. They want a business to treat them in, in a fair way. And as a matter of fact, there's a little bit of a departure away from, remember guys, the old saying from Walmart, like the customer's always right. You know, there's even a little bit of a departure from that. Like, no, actually they're not. Because some customers, I mean, that's a that's a bad place to be. And that's not even, and I, I don't think that's authentic. I don't think that's true for anyone in my family. No one's always right. And I think that's even a little uh, lacks authenticity. What do you think about that, Justin? How do you feel about the authentic consistent authenticity with your customers? How does that play out for you guys? Man, I'm so excited that you asked this. Uh, this is a major, major focus of mine currently. Uh, speaking of Charlie Maloof again, one of the things that I admire about the organization that I mentioned is that they know who they are. And because they're clear on who they are, they're clear on how to handle whatever they face. And we see that, of course, on the outside looking in with the big things. But on the inside, I have to believe that their values are so clear, their identity is so clear that they know how to treat customers, not because there's a policy manual that's this thick, that if you face this scenario, turn to page 64, and if you pay in a, in a clickable decision tree, it takes you 55 places to get 72 answers. When you're clear on your values, it becomes clear what you must do. And I think we've made things so complex in our desire to create black and white and control everything we've actually created such cumbersome systems that customers are mistreated. And I'll tell you, I believe most of your listeners, if we're real honest for a minute, most organizations approach to customer service is what's the least I need to do to get this customer off the phone right now. Now I have a question to pose to our entire audience today. Is that a winning strategy for an organization that wants to be in business for the next hundred years? No. It's not going to work. It's no. not going to work. So I'm very focused right now on making sure that we clarify our values so that what we must do in response to what we face is just integrated into the decision-making process. It's just obvious. It's obvious. And so we do have to build systems around that. So it's not just feeling led. So anytime we don't have a uh, first time completion by a craftsman. So we, we call the people that go into homes and do warranty work. We call them craftsmen. Never use the word tech use the word craftsman, it kind of lowers the radar of the customer. You know, we talk about factory components, not parts. We're going to send a craftsman in to install this factory component, right? If we fail to do that on a first time completion, instantly that activates a system in our organization where we send a handwritten note expressing our sympathy for that not occurring the way we intended it to with a $5 Dunkin' gift card, thanking them for sweetening up our life. <laughs> so we're, we're creating more humanized touch points that show that we're not trying to get out on the cheap, but that allow our, our customer service representatives to feel good about the way that they're loving on our guests and that they're empowered to do so in a manner that's consistent with our values. And values can be mistaken for the hollow beliefs that we right. say are there. Values must be lived out. Well, values are there whether they're stated or not. So you better be intentional about making it clear what they are. Otherwise, you'll be hijacked by what they're assumed to be. Another good friend of ours um, that actually introduced us to Charlie Maloof is Dr. V, Alan Vonderhaar. 
And he said that uh, culture is what you create or what you tolerate. And, and I, yeah, I think it's a really good exercise, you know, to get clear on your mission, your vision, your values, your culture, your brand, all of these things that create alignment. But, but the values piece is, has always been really interesting to me because if you're not able to live those things out, then it's just more hollow language and more lies. It's just, it's just a lie. And your people are going to pick up on it. You're going to feel this lack of congruence. Um, so that's a, that's a deep dive um, into who you are, what you stand for. And it really goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning, Justin. It's getting clear on what you want this day and this moment and all your interactions to be. And it started with you writing it down in, in a journal, writing it down on paper each day, even though it's something that you do really consistently to remind yourself and to retrain your brain or to train your brain in the direction you want it to go. And you've dropped so much knowledge and so much wisdom on us today. I feel like we should just like pull out the calendars and look at round two and Justin Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm grateful. I, I've enjoyed spending time with you and I learned stuff too. I've written down uh, several notes and different books and et, et cetera that I need to read. So thank you. How can people uh, get connected to you or learn more about your business? G give us some of that stuff. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. And then I even have uh, my own personal website at justinbbarnes.com to learn a little bit more about me and some of the things that I'm involved in. Well, hey, Justin, did we miss anything before we, we close out here? Did we miss anything? Is there is there a question that you wish we had asked? I, I honestly can't think of a thing that we've missed. I've just had so much fun. I feel like I'm just hanging out with some uh, longtime friends. So I just want to give you guys... Um, give you guys recognition and acknowledge the job that you do because uh, you pull, you pull good stuff out of, uh, out of your guests. And uh, I appreciate that. Hey, by the way, it's Grant. He's on the $50 bill. Oh, uh, you, for, you know, that would have been a splinter in everybody's brain when they walked away from this episode, unless they had a 50 I, in their wallet. I'm the one who caused the problem. I felt kind of obligated to solve the problem for you. So Justin, you can sleep well tonight. Okay. Well, with the way you guys are going to charge up my mattress sales, I only know Benji's. <laughs> Atta boy. Atta boy. Well, Justin, hey, thanks so much for being on the show. We're coming up on our 200th show, which Quinn and I have some very special guests. Some of them might be famous, very similar to what we're talking about with Nationwide Marketing Group's primetime event. They're going to have a surprise celebrity guest. We, too, will have a surprise celebrity guest. So be sure, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now, subscribe Maybe leave us a review if you think about it. Um, you know, we are Dos Marcos, so even if it's a two-star review, we'll take it. We do want five, though. Um, but be sure and subscribe, and then uh, head to mattresspodcast.com. Get on our list, and you'll get all the goodness. And whenever Justin does come back at some point in the future, you're going to know about it first. Justin, thanks a million for being on the Dos Marcos show. You're an awesome guy. Thank you. You can bounce on it. Oh! What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate. Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it. Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch. We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch. Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get. Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat. Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest. Cool and comfortable, hybrid like a sweater vest. Oh. You know the game, we're ahead of the sun. Cause the two of us together are way better than one. Cause I'm cool. 
cool as ice And I'm hot like a heater Bounce by the ounce, now we got it by the leader Well you take a spring and you wrap it up right You can sleep so smooth or bounce all night yeah. Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it Lay back, you don't have to practice It's the best thing to happen to your mattress Get together to do it like I did Everybody get Somebody to get in your vicinity You probably wanna feel a little bit of a hybridity Foam alone? Out of five, maybe one star Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar Mad back support The best way to shack up or just get rest That won't mess your back up Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist Or a mullet party in the back of the business Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus The ultimate hybrid Nothing short of cheap Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of a comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, phone keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get Back there, does your girl want to chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no, you need springs and foam. Cause if that bowling ball don't bounce, you'll be sleeping alone. And if the bed don't react, then you can't get low. We, we got, got that type of bounce that won't spill your Merlot. So stick with us and you'll get rewarded. Cause I'm so gentle and I'm so supportive. Hybrid is where the magic is. And we just killed a song about mattresses. mattresses.